The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. The Unlikely Innovators. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> this week, Mike Comito and I are joined by Tim McRoberts, director of this of uh, Canada's Smartest Kitchen at Holland College. Mike, how are you doing? Great. I think we've we've finally brought the show back to its humble beginnings because you and I had always talked about how like we had envisioned having you know our colleagues from colleges across Canada come on to talk about applied research and and I think you know a lot of the guests that we've have on have had those tie-ins back to the colleges. You know, certainly they've. They've either, you know, done some applied research with us or with other colleges, they've hired our students or other students. But I think, you know, today was a great episode because we got to highlight the work that another technology access center is doing in Canada and in an area that I think you and I both um, appreciate a lot, which is obviously in, in the realm of food and cuisine and, and, and beverages as well. So yeah, it was great, great talking to Tim and, and hearing about his journey, but obviously hearing more about what, uh, what the CSK does, I think kind of gives us a little bit of tack envy maybe. Oh yeah, I mean, TAC Envy is right. I I hope this is the first TAC we have on of many. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, big shoes to fill. This was a really great episode and I'm sure people will definitely be salivating at the end of it. Um, but I am not one to stand between you and dinner. So what I'm going to do is now get out of the way and we can go to our conversation with Tim McRoberts. So we're now pleased to be joined by Tim McRoberts. Over the past 25 years, Tim has worked at Holland College in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island as a chef instructor, curriculum consultant, and program manager. These experiences have proven to be a wonderful training ground for his current role as director of Canada's Smartest Kitchen, a food and beverage technology access center at Holland College and the R&D arm of the Culinary Institute of Canada. Uh, prior to joining Holland College, Tim worked as a professional chef holding various executive level positions in the food service industry. Uh, and Tim is also uh, a passionate adult educator and enjoys both qualitative and quantitative research inquiry. As a lifelong learner, this empowering journey inspired Tim to complete mass, a Master of Education and a PhD in Educational Studies degrees focusing on program development and the changing uh, Canadian post-secondary student demographic. So there's a lot to talk about, Tim. We're very excited to have you here. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we have a technology X center at Cambrian, but I think you know, the coolest technology access centers in Canada are certainly the ones that focus on food and Bev, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we enjoy the work that we do in the mining space, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to hold a candle to the, to the innovative work that's happening at, at the CSK. So again, happy to have you. We're going to get into all that, but before, you know, we get to the work that you're doing, uh, you know, at Canada's Smartest Kitchen, in your own words, can you kind of describe, you know, how you kind of got into the path that you did to lead you to where you are now? Yeah, I can. And, uh, you know, just to start, uh, Steve and Mike, thanks again for have, having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to talk about what we do at CSK and the journey I've had. But uh, the, the other thing, too, is although there's lots of really cool food and beverage ha- happening in our area, when you think about the other tax and uh, what's happening in spaces like yours as well, the, the technology, the innovation is pretty spectacular. But, uh, you know, from a from a chef looking at the, the tech that happens in your world, it's, it's also very impressive. Um, but thinking about my own career path, uh, you know, I reflect back to uh, finishing up high school. Uh, uh, I was born and raised in Toronto, and uh, I applied to university like a lot of my friends were doing. Pretty excited to uh, get accepted into an economics and business degree, and then uh, had found out that uh, my friends bailed on me, and none of them had applied to the schools that we said we were going to go to. And I got my acceptance letter and I said, I'm not ready to, to go to, to Western on my own and live on my own and do that. I, I just, I, I was afraid to, to be quite frank. Um, so I, I kind of thought about it a little bit and I said, well, what's something that I can do that's a little closer to home? Um, maybe making the best out of a not a great situation. What's a, what's a program that has a little bit of business in it, but also does something that I like to do. And I said, well, wait a minute, what about chef school and, you know, close enough to George Brown College and those kinds of things. And I thought, geez, that that sounds like a really good idea. And then deep down, and I never really told my parents about this, but a lot of the thought process at the time was, hey, it's only two years. If I don't like it, I can get it done and then I can go to university. So um, I ended up applying to uh, culinary school at George Brown College, got in and just loved it. It was I was so glad that I did it. 
So from day one, uh, you know, I, I really soaked up everything that was uh, being offered by the school, loved the internship experience, kind of learned some lessons by watching some of the chef instructors or whatever, and, and said to myself, like, okay, like there, there's something here and I got to make some decisions because it's such a big industry. So I said to myself, let's make sure that you get lots of really good experiences, but try to get the best experiences you can as you build your career. So if you're going to work at a hotel, what are some of the better ones? If you're going to work in a restaurant, what are some of the better ones? Catering company, you know, large quantity cooking, small quantity cooking, these kinds of things. So I really focused in on that. And, uh, Hindsight being 2020, it was, uh, I think, a, a pretty good decision that was reinforced at some of these places that I went to. And I found that it really helped me when I made the transition to being a, a chef instructor at the Culinaries of Canada, which, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to land one of those positions back in the day. Um, and again, just really enjoyed the transition from industry to education and to position my philosophy of learning with students in a way that's all about, okay, how can I give back to, to these students? So, you know, it was, uh, it was the idea of, you know, okay, I love the hospitality industry. How can I get the best experiences that I can get? Who can help me with that? And then how can I help translate that with other people? Um, the education part, and I'll, and I'll go really quickly on the education part, but it came rather rather fast. Um, one day there was an email from our director at Holland College at the, at the time that said there's an adult education program being offered at UPEI, and uh, some of us can get some support to go there. And uh, I applied, I got in, which was great, and that really was the start of this idea about how can I now add a, uh, you know, a more formalized post-secondary uh, component to, to the journey that I've been on. And I fell in love with, uh, you know, learning at that more uh, formalized uh, graduate level after that, moved into a master's. Uh, still had that really deep desire and 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 moved into a, a PhD just because I'm, I'm fascinated with how people learn and uh, learning styles and things like that. So again, just how do you surround yourself with, with those best experiences and, and grow as much as you can? What a great story, Tim. Thanks so much for, for, uh, for, I, I was almost picturing, you know, every, every dimension of that. That was really nice of you to, to tell us about that. I want to pick up on something you said early on in, in that discussion. And you said that you wanted to pick something that you like. So you already liked cooking. Was there a chef in particular? It could be, you know, a, a grandparent or even someone you saw on TV. Uh, I dare say Julia Child or someone mm -hmm. like that. But was there someone that sort of that you aspired to be like uh, when you're getting into the culinary industry? Yeah, there, there really wasn't on, on the way in. And I, th this may surface a little bit throughout the conversation, but I've always been drawn to the experience that happens around food. So, you know, we're, we're really passionate about food and wine and all those kinds of things. And, you know, our dinner parties at home or super events that we have out, you know, in the public, that kind of stuff. But at a really early time, and, and this would have been even before I went to college into cooking school, I, I was drawn to the experience. There, were, there was something about when people are together, they're, 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 and they're creating those memories that surface years after, and you can remember the food you had, you can remember the location you were at. To me, that's the draw. And when, when, it, when I got into chef school, and I really started to kind of learn about um, you know, chefs and, and, and their journey and that kind of stuff. Sure, I was really passionate about that, but I didn't really emulate any of them or say, I want to be like that person. What, what I did was I always said, how can I do everything I can to whatever my involvement is with the experience of somebody else, have a positive impact on that? Um, now when, you know, when, when I think about, uh, some of the chefs that I've worked with or whatever, for example, um, I'll use, uh, the late Dominic Zafranieri at the Delta Chelsea, where I went to do my apprenticeship. Um, you know, I'll never forget watching him as a pretty young person run this big hotel and 
kind of looking at him going like, how is he understanding all these moving parts? But the part that I'll never forget was, you know, him calling me into the office one day, talking about some things as, as a new apprentice, you know, that you're doing okay or whatever. A gentle reminder that you got a long way to go, um, but also ending the conversation with, but we've got your back. We're here to help you. You know, he understood that whole experience and the growth journey that you would be on. And that's the kind of stuff that really stuck with me. Um, you know, do I love watching and reading about, you know, chefs around the world and all that stuff? Absolutely. But it's that personal connection where somebody says to you, you know, like, we gotcha. Um, that, that's the stuff that I remember. Yeah, that experience, that's kind of where, uh, like, I do a lot of the cooking in my house, and I do enjoy it. But I think, you know, like, as I've gotten older, I think I've started to appreciate, you know, like, fundamentally, how do these things kind of work together? How can I make this sauce, like, it's missing something, right? And I guess getting a better understanding of, of how that works. And I think, you know, a big part of that is obviously the age of, uh, of social media and the internet, right? Certainly, like, I can go online now and, and find a recipe for just about anything, you know, never having, you know, looked it up before or experienced it. And there's all sorts of different shows that are, that are obviously available on Netflix. You mentioned books, um, you know, it's a big way that I kind of try to connect, you know, with what's happening. But, but obviously, I think now anybody who has a phone and an internet connection can either learn about how to make a certain dish or learn some techniques, and then they can post that picture, right, and kind of share that with other people. And they can experience, you know, the journey that that person went on to make whatever dish that was. And certainly, I would imagine that that's impacted, you know, the culinary industry because you have more and more people, you know, like myself, who aren't in the space that are, are having an interest in it. They want to know more. And then I think certainly the students, I'm sure that probably has, a, has had an impact on them coming in. Uh, in learning the craft, how, from your perspective, have you seen, I guess, the, the changes to the industry that have been brought about by, by the internet age and the social media age? Yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a great question. And it really is uh, a major theme that's happened in the industry. I, I think it's, a, I think it's a wonderful development that's happened. And, you know, I, I, as you're saying, Mike, like, you know, the, the accessibility that we have to these things, the, the ability to read a story that was associated with a certain food, that kind of stuff. I think it's had generally a positive effect. Um, I think it's helped people create more awareness of global flavors and uh, the, the connection of food to societies and those kinds of things. Um, I think it's helped people become more adventurous in the kitchen and want to try new things, even seek out like traditional equipment and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's a really good thing as well. Um, and of course, it's lots of fun. Um, a lot of times those memories of the foods you make that aren't so great is are the ones that stick to and you have a laugh about them. So, <laughs> you know, th th that's great when you surround yourself with people who are into it. Um, one of the things though that I always remind people of is your phone or the television screen or whatever, it's a two-dimensional media and it just sucks the life out of everything. So, you know, it's really important to realize that just take it with a grain of salt, what you're seeing online, that maybe it's been styled, maybe it's been, you know, like there could be some things that are happening that might not be as real as you think. Um, and also, uh, when it comes to culinary students and starting off a culinary career and whatever, you also have to remember, and the way I describe it is a 50 pound box of potatoes still weighs 50 pounds, whether you're looking at it online or not. And the, the analogy I'm trying to make is that professional culinary world is a, is tough sledding. There's a lot of learning. There's a lot of, you know, uh, hours that you're putting in, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress, of course, as we always say, breakfast, lunch, and dinner are coming. Those, those times on the clock aren't changing yeah. and you need to be ready. And there's a lot at stake. So that reality of the industry still exists, but if social media and, uh, you know, using technology within your, your realm of cooking at home or an industry, there, there's a, a super opportunity there. And I think, it, I think it's made some improvements for sure. 
Yeah, I would say that I'm not posting a lot on social media just because like I don't have the finesse or the technique to have those nice looking <laughs> plates. They taste good. At least that's what my family says. But yeah, I'm not quite at that level to have the confidence. Of course they're going to say that. Yeah, well, they, they have no other <laughs> they option, right? You. That's yeah. And, and that's what we made for dinner. So you have to eat it. And, uh, you know, sometimes if it's not good, yeah, you're right. It makes a, it makes a good memory about the time that, uh, you know, Papa tried to cook this and yeah, it didn't turn out too well. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, I'm just stuck on uh, Delta Chelsea because like I, for some reason in my mind I'm tasting a breakfast quiche from the the Market Garden. Still, I mean, I that was one of my earliest sort of uh, out of town culinary experiences when I was a kid, and I just remember like we were there for four days, I think, uh, just on vacation, and I just had that every morning because I'd never had like yeah. a, a professionally prepared quiche before. Right. And, and, yeah. and that stuck with me forever, but uh, I, that, so I, you obviously worked there then. Yeah, that's right. And it's funny that you should say market garden because that's bringing back a lot of blasts from the past. I actually, when I did my apprenticeship there, that's when the, the Chelsea was going through that, a really big renovation that mm. the, the market garden was, was kind of being built and set. And that, that was a kind of an innovative food concept for the day um it, it, it was quite interesting so I know we're going back in time a fair bit but uh, <laughs> you know that that's exactly what I'm talking about and you know I can I can think of you know sitting in, in other restaurants with with uh, my, my wife and our friends and I can tell you the lamb sausage that we had and all that stuff but more so you remember that evening with those three other people that is the the memory and the food is just a part of it for sure yeah. Um, I'm going to change gears just slightly. And uh, I think I, from talking to you a little bit now, I think I know what your, your, your views are going to be on this, but um, a lot of the times because of the sensationalized nature of what we see on like cooking competition shows, uh, people tend to think, uh, think more about the caricatures of, you know, Gordon Ramsay, you might see on TV um, with their sort of a author authoritarian nature in the kitchen and, you know, calling people donkeys. Have you ever worked with anyone like that and I don't mean just a chef that strives for perfection because that's one thing but like that's like borderline abusive like that is that yeah. is that real does that does that actually purport to real life at all yeah so it's it's an interesting question um on a personal note I can say no because that is not the kind of experience that I chose and I know that there's many experiences that that people can have around the world and we've all heard stories um but I think for me, um, there's a difference between, you know, very high bar, very high standard, very high, um, you know, set of expectations and things like that. And then the other side of it, which is maybe what we're seeing on television or whatnot. Um, but I, I, I've never blended those two. Um, I remember reading uh, Kitchen Confidential uh, with Anthony yes. Bourdain, yep. and uh, I'm, I'm reading it and reading it, and I'm just like, well, okay, I understand this can be the industry, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not naive, and, you know, I've seen some stuff that, okay, that's great, but I was so relieved when the chapter came, when he started to talk about, oh, there's a different kind of kitchen out there. I didn't real, okay, I've been waiting for this, et cetera, et cetera. I attempted in my career to live in that place. Um, didn't always work. Um, and, I, and I've certainly felt about an inch tall before after making terrible mistakes and being called out for it. Um, you know, and hearing the stories of pans getting thrown around and stuff like that. But it's, it's just not an environment that I chose in my own professional development to say, is that how I'm going to become the best that I can be? Yeah, it's 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 almost yeah because you you hear the stories. I mean, I uh, one of my one of my favorite chefs that I follow is, is Dave Chang, and he talks about how like that's how he had, ex had experienced it. So then when he became a chef, like that's how he treated his staff. Like he was known as having a reputation as as an asshole, but you know he's I, I guess he's as he's gotten over, he's tried to improve. Then I think overall it's improving, but it's just you know you kind of think of the kitchen and you know where I could never talk to my staff the way that you hear some of these stories and it's almost kind of accepted in some of those domains. Like it is in the sporting world. Like certainly when coaches throw chairs and ream out their players, like I could never go across the hall to Steve's office, nor would I want to, and, you know, toss a chair and, you know, so it's just, it's, it's an interesting yeah. thing for sure. But, yeah. but certainly yeah. I think, 
you want to strive not to have that, I think, in any working environment, right? But yeah, and and and, and I learned early that uh, you know I, I I can think of uh, you know what one of the chefs that I that I worked with uh, when when I was at the Royal York Hotel, and probably some of the most knowledge that I would ever have experienced before in another person, just, just an, an incredible person, um, very high standard and, 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 and just, a, just a, a running a, a superior type organization with a lot of moving parts, but, but never once in all the mistakes I made there, did I ever feel belittled or not good enough or whatever. And, and I've, I've always just felt that for myself, I, when I reflect on those experiences, my learning is deeper, my skill set gets better quicker because of that type of environment as opposed to the, the alternative. Yeah, no, I, I think- I'd, I'd, I'd love, yeah, and I'd love to add like, oh yeah, and I remember this time and it was just <laughs> wild and done. Like, I'd love to be able to add that to this podcast, but it's just not me. It's just not who I ever was. No, and I mean, I think that's great that you didn't have to experience that and certainly didn't bring that into your repertoire. I think we had, uh, we had the, we were chatting with Terry O'Reilly recently on an episode and he talked about like the best, you know, advice as a, he got was from his, his bad bosses and he saw what they did. And then when he became, when he went into a position where he was supervising people, those are the things that he would never do as a manager, right? And I think that that's, you can have that high standard, but I think still treat your employees with, with yeah. compassion and respect and professionalism. You don't have to, I think, go to that authoritarian level just to try to get those results because at the end of the day, that's not, that's not the type of place that anybody wants to work in, whether it's a, a kitchen or, or the Maple Leafs locker room or at, yeah. the, at the Center for Smart Mining. So Yeah, and certainly <laughs> not saying that, that you know, the, the, only alter, the only alternative is, is, a, is a world of like, you know, unicorns and rainbows and kumbaya and all that stuff. I'm not saying that's the way it's got to be, but, mm-hmm. but, but there is a path forward with uh, maintaining dignity for people, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, on, like the, the show is called The Unlikely Innovators. Uh, so obviously we like to play into that angle of, of how Steve and I kind of came to our career paths. And, and in some senses, you know, in some sense, uh, you might have had an unlikely path going from chef to getting a PhD. It's I don't think it's that common that there's a lot of chefs in the industry who also hold PhDs. And I know you alluded to this at the opening, you know, when you talked about kind of how you got into doing your master's and then doing your PhD. But can you maybe talk a little bit about what made you really want to kind of jump in and make that transition going from from the kitchen to uh, to, to getting your PhD? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. There, there was there was a pivotal day for me at Holland College and the College Institute of Canada. So um, I had been a chef instructor for a good while. Um, I would like to think that I had some success and you know positive rapport with students, and I really enjoyed like ensuring curriculum was organized and well crafted and all that kind of stuff. The college had a uh, an initiative to uh, move into designing its first applied degree, and uh, I ended up being fortunate enough to land the position as the project manager for that file, uh, reporting very closely to our president. The the most the the most memorable night I had about that whole journey was the day before I was leaving to be no longer being a culinary instructor. Now I'm going to be a program developer, et cetera, et cetera. And I lost sleep over what am I going to wear tomorrow? Do I wear my chef's jacket that I've worn for years, et cetera, et cetera, so that I can send a message that, you know, Hey, everyone, I'm doing this, but I'm still like you, et cetera, et cetera. Or do I put on a jacket and tie? So I send a message of, I'm stepping to a new realm here or whatever. And I lost sleep over that. That was, that, that was a, a big, big decision because it set the tone. Anyways, I chose the jacket and tie. And for me, I think it was the, the right decision because I wanted to set a tone that, you know, we, we as chefs who are always fighting that we are a professional industry and all these kinds of things, you know, we do important work and we manage the health and safety of people, for example, when people are eating in our restaurants and all that stuff, there's a lot of responsibility. We can step up and take on these new roles. We're, we're ready for that. So, so that was pivotal, pivotal for me. And I really enjoyed it. And that kind of set the, the stage to say, okay, let's really 
jump into the the learning dynamic, understanding program development from the student's perspective and whatever. So at the same time is when the opportunity came to consider a master's degree. And I thought this is the perfect environment to be going back to school. And what I did was I blended uh, new program development and instructional design strategies into my master's journey and my master's thesis. And the whole idea was it's going to help me at university to learn, but this university journey is going to help the program become the best it can be and be as modernized as possible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there was just so many wins that came out of that. You know, staff were inspired and I saw other people starting to go back to school. We had a really neat program, all these kinds of things. And that carried on into uh, taking a bit of a break when the master's was done to, to move into the PhD, because by that time I was uh, the program manager of, of the business division here at the college. And that same kind of thing was, was hitting me, which is there's an opportunity here to, to modernize things and be on the, the leading edge of, of learning today and all that stuff. So I focused my, my PhD on the changing student demographic across Canada and how that aligns with learning styles. And I do think a lot of that has dribbled back into the work that I do at the college. And I, and I blended those things together, included staff, included students. And there was a lot of feedback that, you know, this is very um, timely research and all that. So it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was a wonderful journey. And of course, as, 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 as you will know, it's a, it's a lot of work to, to get to the finish line and, and uh, but it, there, there were a lot of benefits for a lot of people beyond myself in that. And at, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm always fascinated by how we learn. You know, we're having this discussion right now. There's no wires connecting your brain and my brain and Steve's brain to you and whatever. Yet things are happening in our brains. I'm fascinated by that. And how much of this conversation is going to move from short-term to working to long-term memory. Like, I, I just think that's such an amazing thing for the jelly inside of our skulls to be doing. Um, and it, it, it really does give me a lot of inspiration. Well, yeah, no. leave, it, leave it to a chef to have blended so many nice things together and, <laughs> and, 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 and impacted your, your life and career as well as the uh, success of Holland I, College. I do, I do have to ask you, though, Tim, because you mentioned, you know, the debate about picking a sh your, chef, your chef's jacket or shirt and tie. So after you complete your PhD, is it, is it Dr. Tim McRoberts or Chef Tim McRoberts? I would say the bulk of it is is, is doctor now. For yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know at CSK like it's it's very much suit and tie every day that mm -hmm. kind of idea. Steve, as you know, managing attack that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have my chef's jacket there, and there are times when I need to put it on. But I can be honest and say that there are some feelings of being an imposter, <laughs> kind of associated with that right now because. Uh, my hands aren't as quick as they used to be. My, my lingo isn't as, as sharp as it used to be with all the culinary terms. I just have that little bit of hesitation. Um, others might not see it, but I certainly feel it. But uh, yeah, when, when I put that jacket on every once in a while, it, it's still a pretty amazing feeling. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, um, Tim... Dr. Chef Tim McRoberts. <laughs> um, I think it's an interesting thing that uh, you transitioned to then uh, Canada's Smartest Kitchen. And you, I think you're the first of our sister tacks that we get to, to have on here. Um, can you talk about the work that's going on at Canada's Smartest Kitchen? Um, we're the Center for Smart Mining and we focus on sort of cutting edge technologies and techniques in the mining sector. Can I assume that you, that you do that for a much uh, more exciting <laughs> uh, sector? Well, I, I, I think what you can assume is uh, we taste some pretty awesome food and beverages at CSK, that's for sure. Um, so like yourselves, uh, we're a technology access center, um, proud to be a part of the Tech Access Canada family, and uh, we're a part of Holland College, and we're often referred to as the R&D arm of the Culinary Institute of Canada which has a you know, national brand and international brand recognition. So we're very proud of that. 
Um, what happens in our center is uh, primarily food and beverage product innovation. So, you know, we'll, we'll clients will come to us and uh, I have the best salsa recipe. I just know it. Um, we help them, A, quantify that because as you go to the supermarket shelf, every one of those salsas on the shelf is the best salsa recipe for that person. So all respect, but you got to understand everyone's in the same space. So we do a lot of product development for food and beverages. And that, that, the focus on that is uh, benchtop prototyping. So we have a R&D uh, kitchen with lots of different equipment and things like that. And we actually can create those prototypes for clients. Um, our team is a, is a blend of R&D chefs, people who are focused on the culinary world as professional chefs and then gain their R&D experience with some food technologists and scientists. We, we get them working together so the food can be on trend, tasting great, mouthfeel, all that stuff. But we blend that with safety and all the other, uh, you know, um, um, qualities that make it safe, that kind of idea. So very unique space. And what's amazing about having our center on Prince Edward Island is the island is this really cool uh, food innovation hub right now. There's the Food Island Partnership. There's the Bio Food Tech Center. There's other initiatives in the work. So there are some really neat supports available for entrepreneurs in Atlantic Canada and beyond with CSK and the other groups that we work with. So in addition, though, to product development, we do a lot of consumer science. So we'll, we'll help clients with things like, you know, how are you going to uncover the data that's going to show um, potential success for your product? What, what does the competition look like? What's out there? What are the price points? What are some ingredients to be aware of? All that kind of stuff. Um, so we do a lot of work in that space for people. Um, we offer sensory analysis. So when we have prototypes made, we actually have a database of tasters and invitations can go out. And although the, the pandemic has impacted how we can bring people into our center, because we're not, we now offer take-home kits, we offer walk-up sensory analysis, and we offer walk-by sensory analysis services. And in a nutshell, people actually get to taste the prototypes and give quantitative and qualitative feedback on their reactions to it, um, which again can help the client make the refinements they need to make. Um, we do a lot of food styling. Uh, we, we have a couple of staff members that have just the most creative eye. They're so good at it. And we can shoot food. We can validate the recipes. We can set them up with different presentation styles, all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, the images get digitized and they can go on web or print or things like that. And then we also offer corporate chef services and, you know, we'll have clients that call us to say, listen, like, we'd love to do an event. Can you guys help us? And, and we'll go so far as to say, well, let us reach out to some clients and we'll see if they would like their ingredients or prototypes kind of combined into various stations and appetizers and whatever. So not only can you have an event, a catered event, but your, your, people coming to your event could give us some feedback on their reactions to the food. And when people hear about that, they're like, now that is something special. That's cool. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the, the bulk of what we do. That's Steve and I are both just thinking about how we can get transferred to Holland college from Cambria now <laughs> to, to be a, to be a part of all that, because uh, you know, Tim, I'm even thinking that like, I'm realizing now in our conversation that I've actually, I think, done some of that, uh, that qualitative and quantitative feedback for, for, uh, for Canada's Smartest Kitchen. I think as a benefit of being a part of Tech Access Canada, Ken Doyle had sent me uh, some various yeah. uh, protein powders and I was asked to try them and, you know, rate them based on, you know, look, yeah. taste, feel, all that stuff. So, so, yeah. so that's an example of obviously a project that you guys would have done. Are there some other projects? I know that you know, in our world, that's oftentimes our partners are, you know, they're entering into NDAs with the college, so we yeah. can't share everything. But are there some notable examples that you can point to, um, you know, of some, maybe it's recipe development, or maybe it's some of the sensory testing you talked about, but is there anything else in particular that you could share from some of the work that you guys have done over the years? 
Yeah, um, we're, we're really proud of a, of a couple of metrics that we report on with uh, NSERC and other groups, but um, a couple that come to mind are, you know, we, we do a lot of process improvement for people. Um, so although I can't really get into the specifics of things, um, when it comes to refining some uh, bread and uh, and cake formulations um, for small entrepreneurs, I think something in that space has been very successful. Um, and, and really where we're going, where I'm going with that is we helped this individual take a pretty small, I would say, um, uh, basement level production volume of a, of a nice product and help them industrialize it so they can scale up and actually move a lot of product. And then um, we've also helped another company uh, create a really super uh, plant-based dairy beverage to uh, be a milk alternative, um, things like that. Um, we're, we're having lots of discussions with uh, distillers and craft cideries right now, and, and people are looking for that kind of little, little nuance or that little edge in the market to either flavor their cider, do something different with it, um, um, use some of the waste stream. That's a big part of what we do as well, um, so that they can create other products from what they would normally be throwing out. And then the other one would be there, there. There's lots of good examples at CSK where we've helped uh, seafood producers really address a value-added uh, approach in their business. And let's say they've got off-size mussels, or they have lobsters that um, maybe they don't want to sell the whole lobster. They want to create um, maybe it's a chowder with it or something like that. We, we've got a really good track record in helping in areas like that. So, sea, seafood would be a big one as well. Uh, lunchtime could not come soon enough after yeah. hearing some of them, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, Mike, when we had uh, one of uh, the son of the founder of Grandmother's Pie Shop or yes. Grandmother's Bake Shop. I don't know if you, from your time in Ontario, Tim, I don't know if you remember Grandmother's uh, Bake Shop Butter Tarts. They're pretty much at every sort of uh, truck stop or, yeah. or convenience store. That's it's a company that started in Sudbury, Ontario, where we are, and uh, and then it eventually sold to a, a bigger company in Toronto. But uh, it's just one of those things where they they got really good at making uh, butter tarts, but then they had to scale up. And I think that's I think one of those things that you're talking about that CSK can help with. Yeah, you know, going for sure. going going from like the basement or the mm -hmm. small bake shop to being able to supply and uh, you know uh, you know make sure that the supply gets up gets there on time and, and at a high quality right yeah yeah absolutely and and you know like you use butter tarts as the example and uh, many foods are like this but the recipe for 50 it's it's not just straight math to make it a recipe for 5,000 there's slight mm -hmm. nuances that happen and that yeah. that's where csk comes in to help people understand that yeah that's scaling right because i mean when i make uh, you know two steaks for my wife and i uh, with, you know, with a particular sauce that doesn't just scale up <laughs> if Not I quite. have 25 people over, right? <laughs> and the exactly. preparation time is different. And, you know, that the quality control goes out the window too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, so in, in, in view of that uh, and, and my struggles in my own kitchen, I am pretty adventurous, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, compared to the average, I would say. Uh, do you have any advice for for home cooks who want to be more daring in the kitchen, but might be a bit apprehensive. Um, I remember there was a time when I was growing up, my mom made pork chops and, uh, and mashed potatoes. Probably. I think my sister and I counted 25 days in a row. Yeah. Um, if we want to leave our comfort zone, what do you have any advice for people that are trying to be a bit more daring and worldly? Yeah. We, we, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, which is, you know, embrace the technology a little bit and, uh, you know, look, look, look what's out there. Um, I, you know, we see people all the time, like jumping on Pinterest and places like that to get ideas. But at, at the end of the day, I think a lot of it has to be with like, like go for it. What, what's the absolute worst that's going to happen? You're just not going to like it. And, and that's okay. Um, but, but I think some things that make the journey a little bit easier is maybe get into buying cookbooks or, you know, downloading recipes and creating an archive for yourself or, or things like that. 
Um, also, jump on some websites and, and, and take a look at what are the basic tools that you need? Because nothing makes the job harder, which then translates over to, I'm not enjoying this as much as the recipe is calling for you to zest an orange. Well, what the heck is orange zest? And what's a zester? Those kinds of ideas. But if you have one, all of a sudden things are really easy. And you can pick up a zester for $9, like if, if you know what I'm saying. Like, mm -hmm. so, you know, that equipment and some cookbooks and use technology and that kind of stuff, but, but go for it. And the other, the other thing that I, that I think um, is important to share is, and, and bo both of you have probably experienced this, but there's a difference between when you make a meal and you're like, okay, the meal's made to, wow, I feel really confident in making this. And I'll use mm -hmm. salad dressing as an example. A lot of times we go to a recipe to make salad dressing and I probably wouldn't have used a recipe for 30 years to make salad dressing. You just know, you know, what's a little bit of honey going to do? Can I replace that honey with maple syrup? Should I mince up an onion? Well, what about green onion? That kind of stuff. But if you do it enough and you practice enough, all of a sudden that reliance that you have on a recipe, it starts to dwindle and your own kind of style as a, as a home cook or chef or whatnot starts to come out. My advice would be when you sense that happening, whether it's with salad dressing or an egg dish that you're making for breakfast or whatever, kind of run with that and, and build off that because you're starting from a place of confidence anyways. And the changes that you're gonna make, they'll be subtle, some you like, some you won't like, but you'll be removed from that idea of, okay, three ounces of oil or three ounces. Oh, okay, now I need one ounce of sugar. Like, that will start to go away. And, and if, you can, if you can start to move off that, your repertoire will go, your confidence will grow. And uh, all of a sudden you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be hopefully getting into the place where you, you're reflecting back on foods from about six months ago going like, I can't believe I made that. That was so bad. Look at what I'm doing now. And I, I think I think that's the key. So some tech, some equipment, and all that stuff. But but challenge yourself to feel what are the things I'm making well and build off that. I I do most of the cooking in my household, but I wish I had the confidence that my wife has to not follow a recipe. It's it's probably the one thing that we get into disagreements about the most. Is like, well, can't you just throw some red peppers in there? I'm like, no, no, it's not. It doesn't call for red peppers. It's going to change the whole dynamic. Or you know, she's not adding the same amount. It's it, it drives me. It dri I think yeah. I'm a little more methodical, regimented in in the approach. Yeah. But again, I think you know, based on what you just said, like I think I should probably you know be a little bit more open to throwing caution to the wind. And and maybe it is better with red peppers. You know, maybe she was onto something. So yeah, no, absolutely. I I think there probably is something there, but uh, you, you know. The, the other thing too, too, Mike would be like, if there's a food that you're making now for your family that you're really proud of and, and you can kind of do it like verbatim and it's very natural and whatnot, that's the place to start, start changing that mm -hmm. because, because your hands are already doing the right stuff and all that. So I think that's the key for people at home. Yeah, and that's actually a great, uh, a, a, a great segue to the, to, you know, to the last question we wanted to ask you, Tim, because you've been so generous with your time. But again, having you on here to talk with us, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about what would be your signature dish. And I know that's probably more difficult for you to answer than it would be for Steve and I, because I, I probably have one that I would say, but I'm sure over the years, you know, maybe it's evolved and you have, you've had several, but I guess if you were to try to, to come up with one that people would know you for is like, man, you Tim cooks this thing and it's, it's out of this world. What would that be? Yeah. You know, I, I, this is a, this is a very uh, strong question because um, I learned a long time ago, picky chefs go hungry. <laughs> so I said to myself early in my career, like, you know, my, my signature, my, my style, or, you know, my speciality and that kind of stuff, it's probably going to make me go hungry. So for me, and, and I don't want this to be like a, a political type, you know, oh, here, here's the vanilla answer he's giving, so to speak. But I don't have a signature dish. What I have is, going back to the very beginning of the conversation, the signature dish is always the experience. So it doesn't matter if I'm making a tray of sandwiches 
to drop off for somebody who has had a death in their family all the way to Thanksgiving dinner. It, 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 to me, it doesn't matter. The signature dish is about aligning the food with that experience for people so that they're comfortable as they can be or enjoying themselves as much as they can, that, that kind of stuff. So if an egg salad sandwich has to be a certain way for that, for that experience, that person, then so be it. And uh, I, I, just, I just find that having that as a signature has helped me tremendously in my career. Um, I love French cuisine and uh, I, I love anything charcuterie, you know, that kind of idea. Mm. I, I really do enjoy that stuff, but I'm always cautious because I love, you know, opera cake and, you know, these kinds of things too. So it, I, I'm, I'm always like open to what's happening there. So the signature actually rests in the experience. That's awesome. That's, that's good. I mean, like you, you're so, it, it's, it's a versatile approach, right? It's uh, um, like, I, I've been upset. Like I learned how to make a bechamel sauce and now I put bechamel on everything <laughs> because I got yeah. like, like, I don't have to measure anything for bechamel anymore. Uh, I got as good as, as that with like hollandaise, right? It's scratch hollandaise. Yeah. Um, so I, I, and, and then that's only a few steps away from, uh, from making a Bernays sauce. Right. So I think, yeah. uh, going experience first is something that I've been trying to do as well. I've been yeah. trying to, I've been trying to plate uh, dinners nicely for my wife and uh, Ooh. I, I know, cool. right. Uh, like, yeah. play, but it's that experience piece you're talking about, Tim. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. You know. And Steve, like, you know, you're, you're, you're talking bechamel. So, you know, all of a sudden you're making Mac and cheese at home and you're like, I just made bechamel without a recipe, you know, I actually made Mornay sauce, which is the cheese sauce for my mac and cheese, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're doing a lot of traditional, important cuisine without a recipe and all that, which is great. And then you've got that conscience to say, you know what? That bechamel sauce, if I make it just maybe a little thicker and then I loosen it with some blue cheese, I'm going to put a little bowl, a little cup of that, or I'm going to be really adventurous and I'm going to put a little bit of on that a, a grilled steak on the Barbie this summer. Yeah, like, yeah. like that's yeah. your culinary journey moving, right? And all of a sudden people are coming over and a couple of people at the table may be like, oh my goodness, what has he done? He's ruined this steak. <laughs> but other people might be like, this is the best thing I ever have. How did you do that? Yeah, yeah. And you'll be like that cool guy, right? Like, oh yeah, I did this. I just did this and whipped this together and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, they're just going like, that was unbelievable. Tim, you don't know how much I strive to be that cool guy. So, <laughs> so here's hoping that that actually works. Um, It'll come. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm cool. sure it will. Uh, Dr. Tim McRoberts, we want to thank you for, for being on the pod today. We had a lot of fun. We made our audience pretty hungry, I think, with our discussion. <laughs> but uh, kudos to you for what you've done in your career so far and what you're doing at CSK, Canada's Smartest Kitchen. I think it's... Uh, it's a really interesting and non-obvious uh, source of applied research. And I think uh, keep up the good work for sure. Oh, well, thanks very much. And, I, re and I, I, I really do appreciate you guys having me on and kudos and congratulations to yourselves at your attack as well. And all the R and D happening, happening at Cambrian and whatnot. It's just uh, super exciting to see what you guys are doing as well. So yeah, ditto. Thanks so much, Tim. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Well, hopefully you liked that main course. Uh, Steve and I are obviously back with the <laughs> with the with the with the dessert uh, portion for. It. I guess that's not really a good way of, of phrasing, right? What would be the is the amuse bouche? Does that come after or before? Like, <laughs> I think it's before. I think it's before. So I've ruined this outro. Yeah, already. Well, we already we already did the amuse bouche at the beginning. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Yeah, see, there you go. So we'll just. We'll this is the dessert. We're yeah. maybe we're the aperitif. Maybe Ooh. we're a bit of limoncello right now. Maybe that's what we are. Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. We're maybe a little bit of a. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of what what is the the digestive that I I'll have often have after dinner. Is it a morrow? Could be. It could be. I again, why <laughs> why bring it up if you don't know? But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were going somewhere with this, Steve. And you know, one of the things actually I wanted to share with you is that when Tim and I were kind of talking offline before we lined up the podcast, you know, him and I both lamented that the first tech access Canada workshop that we were supposed to go to 
in 2020 was going to be in gas bay and you and i had identified that at that time it was like lobster season or it was just at the either the tail end or like the beginning so like we would have been able to just you know obviously learn some best practices from the workshop but ultimately to be on the coast and annihilate some lobsters yeah yeah that would have been something i think it's it'll come back but uh but i mean that would have been high time yeah yeah i think would have been okay would have been an okay trip so, Mike, you were going to ask me what my signature dish is, but I, I'm going to ask you first, what, what is your absolute go-to blindfolded dish you can do at home? Yeah, so it's definitely, uh, it's pastas for sure. So, like, I think I have three that I do quite regularly. My wife is obsessed with this one uh, that's like a lemon pasta, but it's more of like a pasta lolio. It's like, it's basically mm. just seven components. I think it's uh, garlic, olive oil, parsley. Uh, salt and pepper, chili flakes, you and some lemon juice, you whip that all together and you throw the pasta right into that, that oil sauce. And that's pretty much it. But I mean, those, I could do that blindfolded. Uh, another one that's super easy to do. And it's a, it's a bit of a cheat on a carbonara instead of uh, using guanciale, you use just bacon. So you just saute up some bacon, uh, add some of the pasta water into that, add the pasta and then transfer that into a a non uh, scalding pot. And then you add uh, two beaten eggs and that becomes like the cream sauce. It doesn't get more simple than that. You're adding Parmesan cheese as well, obviously to kind of thicken up that sauce. But those are the two I would say that if you gave me the ingredients, I could pretty much make it anywhere. Wow. I didn't know we were also giving the recipes and the, any how to's, but well, uh... I mean, they're so simple. <laughs> I, I had to offer it up, but I mean, you, you know, in our conversation with Tim, you'd mentioned that you're like, obviously the sauce King. Um, <laughs> But well, w- I've been I've been really interested in sauces. So whenever I make like a roast or something like that, like I'm I'm I like grilling and cooking meats. Mm-hmm. And something that's really changed at dimension. Like when I was growing up, they'd be often served just on a plate. Now I'm big on making an accompanying sauce, and I think that's been sort of changing the dimensions of all of our our foods. I mean, obviously, you know from from a long time ago, I have a really mean um, guacamole that i make not with the peas though right no not with the peas. okay not okay. with the peas. no just the straight up guacamole you might have yeah. dragon breath the next day but it is a uh it is a specialty of mine um uh, i make a turkey chili that is uh pretty dino but i definitely have to say that my absolute signature dish that i've now done a number of times it takes a while to do because you have to try out the eggplant is moussaka Ooh. um i actually make a scratch moussaka that's really good so Wow. That's, that's impressive. I was going to say on the sauce front, like, I think it's a blessing and a curse because I make like a peppercorn sauce whenever we do steak. So now, like every time you want to do steak, even if it's in the summer, it's like, I've got to go in and also make this sauce. You've got like the steak on the barbecue, the mashed potatoes going, you've got to get the sauce going at the right time. So you take the steak off the sauce is ready. It's, uh, it's worth it though. Yeah. Well, it's exactly like what Tim said, when you scale up, yeah, you know, things change. So, um, Peppercorn sauce, though, if you can really dial in a peppercorn sauce, you actually have to do it every time you make steak. So, I mean, it was really the kind of the, it's like, I, 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 I guess maybe this probably says more about me, but like there is something, there's that ego boost when somebody eats a meal at your house and they're like, wow, like that was like a, like, how did you make that sauce? Or like, you know, you yeah, yeah. so you live for that. So, yeah, like if you're going to do steak, like you might as well go all the way and like kind of take it up a notch. So, you got to throw down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go eat something. Yeah. I think, I think that's uh, the perfect time to, to kind of end this and grab a snack and yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for joining us again and we'll see you next time on the unlikely innovator. The unlikely innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel presented by Cambrian R and D in the center for smart mining.